a lot of meat, a lot of red meat to think about. Um, I think most of you are familiar. This is the book Greg has written with Kevin DeYoung, What is the Mission of the Church? Um, you wrote it when? Yeah, so Kevin and I have been friends for, have been friends for a long time, and we would get together and uh, just, just talk about life and theology and the evangelical world and all the rest. And so uh, at one of those meetings, uh, Kevin and I and Justin Taylor at Crossway got into a conversation about all this mission stuff. You know, there were books being written about how the mission of the church is to eradicate disease or to get rid of poverty, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, as we talked about it, Justin Taylor just realized that Kevin and I were pretty much on exactly the same page about it. And so he said, why don't you guys get together and write a book? And so we thought about it, uh, threw, some, threw some ideas back and forth, and out came this book. Well, it, it's, a, it's a very, very helpful book. And Greg, that was a very, very helpful talk. Thank you for your, your work on it. Um, very, very helpful. Much to think about. Obviously, everybody knows John, Andy, and Aubrey uh, as we think through this. I would just to start want to ask, what do, anyone, what do you see that threatens the mission of the church today? Uh, what do you see out there? And if, brothers, if you want to think contextually here, that threatens the mission of the church today. Especially considering international churches, uh, I think the biggest threat to the mission is that we would be religious cushions, that these churches would be cultural enclaves where folk go to uh, be comforted, maybe to have religious practices that remind them of back home. You know, they're in a frontier setting, and yet they're looking for uh, something that's comfortable. And we need to continually, continually remind our people in these international cities of the gospel priority, the, uh, the priceless opportunity we have to rub elbows and shoulders with all kinds of people. So we do that by endeavoring to mobilize our people, teaching accurately on what the mission of the church is, and yeah, pushing back against the materialism, the sleepiness that goes along with being a, a religious cushion. Uh, it's, I'm in Turkey, which is kind of a unique place. One thing I'm hugely thankful for, Turkey's just, because there's not a lot of fruit in gospel work there, it's just not a very popular place for people that are doing really crazy, weird stuff. So interesting, leaving the United States, there's, there's a lot less confusion about sort of what the gospel is. So there's a lot of pretty clear gospel work. I think the, the big challenge in Turkey is just the, the sort of enemy of the mission of the church is that lots of people in Turkey just don't really think about the local church as being very important. It's kind of threatening. They don't want to have to get together with other Christians. But I'm thankful, at least in the part that I'm in, there's not, you know, there's not people running around saying the mission of the church is to do all sorts of good stuff. There's just a very thin gospel that's like, I'm going to believe in Jesus and then hope nobody gets mad at me until I die or Jesus comes back. Oh, so religious Christian and then low view of the church and a, and yeah, a low view a, of the gospel? Yeah, very strangely, a very individual view of the gospel. Like, I'm going to get converted, but I'm not going to think about a community view of the gospel. Yeah, I think the low view of the church, you know, the, um, the Great Commission was given to the church, as Greg says. And for 2,000 years, the greatest missionary sending society in doing missions is the local church of the Lord Jesus Christ, authorized to do that work. And um, I think what threatens the mission of the church is when we begin to see that not as the mission of the church, 
uh, and see the local church not as the goal of missions, uh, but rather missions is something that professional missionaries do. Um, and I think that's an issue. Yeah, can I, can I just add one thing? I'm not going to know your context very well at all. Um, you know, I just, I just don't know the various places that you are. Certainly not going to know the challenges that you face. But I think I'm pretty safe in saying that one danger to the mission of the church all over the world is going to be American evangelical influencers. Um, so be incredibly careful as you look at and are influenced by the conversations that are going on in the United States of America. Um, there are a lot of people in America, on Twitter, on Facebook, all the rest, who are advocating for priorities that may or may not be good. I don't, I'm not going to make a judgment now on any of those, though I have opinions on most of them that are, that are getting pushed forward. But, but they're advocating for priorities and saying things like, because this is important or because this is good, this is a gospel issue and therefore this is what the church needs to focus on. Um, and just about all of those things um, are distractions from that golden mission. They may be good, they may have their place uh, in the teaching, but uh, in terms of the mission and what the church is supposed to be about, they're, they're distractions. So, so be careful of Americans. Are Ameri you... American evangelical influencers, not all of us. <laughs> I, I wanted to Greg, say you... that, but I'm not American, <laughs> so I'm kind of... <laughs> There you go. Aubrey, we I know that you're very you. careful about American evangelical influencers. Greg, are you an American evangelical influencer? I don't think so. I am here, I hope. How do you know when... I don't know. You, you tell me, Josh, man. How many Twitter followers? <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. No, no, I want, I want to press on. Um, I do want to push into this. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, The world should see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Peter says... They should watch our conduct so that the world may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You are arguing against the position not everything we do is in Jesus' name. How do you think through these commands of Jesus, of the apostles, that our good deeds matter? The world should see them yeah. bring glory to God. Well, so, I mean, I, I, and the mission of the church. I think I'd, I'd correct just one little thing there. I, I wouldn't say that not everything we do is in Jesus' name. Everything you do should be in Jesus' name. Not everything we do is the mission. Um, and you got to be really clear about that. So, I, I, yeah, I do think sometimes people will read this book or hear a talk like this and think, well, you know, these guys just don't think good works matter. They, they think they're unimportant. That's not true. The, the question is not, are good works important? The question is, biblically speaking, what's the purpose of your good works? So, and, and again, there are two answers to that question. A, are your good works meant by God in the Bible as a promise to make the world a better place to live in? That's one option. Or B, is the purpose of your good works, according to the Bible, to adorn and confirm and to make beautiful the gospel that you preach? Now, I would argue that A is just not the case. Like, you have no promise in the Bible whatsoever that any good works that you do for however long are going to make the world a, a better place or make your neighborhood a better place. Um, the promise just isn't there. And I think one of the things, one of the uh, dynamics that's happening right now and we may even be a little bit past it now, but one of the dynamics happening in America is that a lot of the people who in, say, 2000, 2005, were making promises to their churches that we're going to get into this, this, this inner city you know, neighborhood and we're going to change the world, we're going to transform the neighborhood, are realizing 15 or 20 years on that that didn't happen. And so they've left their people wondering if they themselves failed or if God failed because my pastor promised me we were going to change this neighborhood. 
And what we actually did was just gentrify a whole bunch of housing and make the taxes go up and drive everybody who was native to this place out. You know, that's what they're learning. Um, so I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. What the Bible teaches is that your good works are to make people glorify God. They're supposed to confirm and adorn and make beautiful the gospel that you, that you preach. So there's a lot more to say about that, but it's not are good works important. It's what is their purpose. You want to tie it directly to gospel clarity and proclamation? Good works? I'm not sure what you mean by that. You want good works, good deeds on their own. You want to, do you want to link it directly to gospel clarity and gospel proclamation? Good deeds on their own, not enough. Yeah, sure. So you want to tie it to the telling, yeah, 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 proclaiming yeah. of the gospel. Yeah, that's right. If you're just doing good deeds, um, you're not preaching the gospel. You know, the St. Francis quote is Aubrey. Aubrey. Can we define in the context of the New Testament well, I, how, what we mean by those good works yeah, I, that glorify the Father? So I might stir up a whole hornet's nest here. Well, well, you can store it up for a few minutes. And then but we'll... I, would, I would say it's primarily how we live our lives with one another in the covenant community of the God's redeemed people. That's the primary New Testament uh, definition of good works. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. Now, that, <laughs> that, that, there's a specific church context there for how you live, even for the Sermon on the Mount, for yeah, all of how that. How would you think about that in the Sermon on the Mount? Because he's speaking to the New Covenant community? Yes. And that then puts on a display that is compelling to the world around us. Right? Or think of Acts chapter 2, right? Um, and how the... 42 to 47. Yes. So that puts on a compelling display to the world around us, and through that, the gospel goes forth. And you see this in the early church. You see uh, the letter to Diognetus. You see, you know, the witness of the early Christians uh, to the pagan world around them. It's not primarily through transformation of society, but through covenant life in the local church that then creates a compelling witness of, God, of the gospel, a visible witness which is then backed up by our proclamation. Andy and John, do you want to jump in anywhere? I just want to add a question. Greg, how would you refine this if you're thinking about like the local church and individual Christians? Because that often helps me to think through, you know, I, I may do good works as an individual Christian yeah. without gospel proclamation. Like, you yeah, know, that's right. I'm coming out, my neighbor's bringing groceries in, you know, I help my Egyptian Muslim neighbor carry the groceries to the front door of her house. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, but just, thinking about first just the dichotomy between what we do as individual human beings and what we encourage the local church to do as far as its sort of good works in the world. Yeah, all, all those things are, are true and all of them are good. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that all those things that you do for your neighbor and all the rest and being involved in social organizations trying to do good things, it's all good, you know, depending on what you're doing. But uh, the danger in any of that that people tend to fall into over and over again is to think that, because I care about this, that therefore the whole church must get behind me in it and put money toward it. And, and this, this thing that is my passion needs to become the mission of the church. So, you know, I don't know that any Christian is on very safe ground in saying my individual mission in life from Jesus is this. I don't know that, you, I don't know that you've got that as an individual Christian. The church, though, has an explicit mission. And insofar as the church is us we are all caught up into that mission. Now, you, you know, in prayer and in the leading of the Holy Spirit, you may decide, I think the Lord has given me this particular deployment for my, for my life or for this season in my life. But 
I'd be very careful about saying, this is my mission, because it's very easy to scoot that over into saying, and therefore it needs to be the mission of the institutional church. So making the distinction between the church's church and what it must do, and the individual, and what they're free to do. And your place in it, yeah. So you're, you know, even if you think you have some other deployment from the Lord, my, my deployment is to do, you know, good medical things for lots of people, right? And that's how I'm going to do that in Jesus' name and look for opportunities to show that. Even if you think that's your mission, uh, you need to be very careful to, to, to understand that that's not the mission of the church and that you yourself, as a member of the church, are in fact caught up in the mission of the church. So like I said, you need to be active in creating opportunities to push it forward. John, you want to add anything? A question for you, Greg. Medical missions, is that a helpful term? Or business? Business is missions. Yeah, I don't know if I have super worked their opinions on it. I, you know, it, if you understand what, what the mission is, you know, that is to proclaim disciples or to proclaim the gospel and make disciples, then medical becomes an adjective that says, you know, tells about one set of good works that we're going to do to try to adorn that gospel. And I think that's fine. I, I don't know that in the literature it gets used quite that carefully. Though. What if there's no proclamation tied to the medical work? Well, then it's not mission. I've been doing some reading. There's this guy, uh, I'm going to mess up his name because it's so hard to say dead Dutch people's names, but is it Gisbertus Voitzes? Sounds, is that right? Sounds so right. With confidence. Just really be confident. He, he wrote in the 1600s, Dutch guy, been reading a little bit of his stuff recently. I don't usually read stuff like that. He don't, just throws those comments in. Do not to, think uh, it's pretentious. Been reading the 1600s. On the internet, uh, you know, Google searches. <laughs> but, uh, but it's fascinating. He... he draws the distinction really clearly of like what what's the mission and then but it's and he's very precise and then in one of the things he wrote they're asking the question well how do you go about it he's like any way you can man like like whatever you need to do to get there indentured servitude Mm -hmm. 1600s he's like whatever whatever (laughs) you need to do to get to the place where you're gonna sort of define the who and the what of the gospel so you know like business medical work as long as people are just thinking, this is how I, this is what I have to do to get there, and it's not too time-consuming to actually do the work yeah. of missions, but it's when people start saying, yeah, this is a thing itself, rather than just like, yeah. this is the airline I'm flying to get there. Yeah, I agree entirely. In fact, I, I mean, I, in everything that I've said here, trying to be super clear about that, that golden mission, it's not to say that a church can't decide in its budget to give money to some set of good works that's going to do some, you know, like, you know, I, I don't know, in America it'd be renovate a park or buy a, a set of computers for an elementary school, something like that. It's not to say the church can't do that. It is to say that, that if a church does that, it, it needs to be very careful in deciding exactly how directly or indirectly that expenditure is going to further the mission of the church and then allocate its resources accordingly, right? So if something is more in line with the mission, you're going to be quicker to, you know, put resources toward it. So we're going to, you know, we're going to, buy these computers for this school and that's going to create a relationship between administrators and students and families and we're going to be all in there preaching the gospel. Awesome. That seems like really direct on the mission. If it's more like we're going to buy these computers but never, you know, we're going to do it anonymously and never hear from them again and all we're trying to do is make our neighborhood a better place to live, that's very indirect, right? And you're going to want to think about that as well. I want to ask about contextual considerations. We're out here uh, where we are. What, where, how do we think through contextual considerations? If at all, you've got to answer this one. Be 
I don't know why they gave it to you, but uh, yeah, contextual, <laughs> contextual considerations as we think about the mission of the church. Anybody want to speak to that? Tell me, what do you mean by contextual? Like, does it change? Contextualization. Does it change in any way? How does contextualization, if at all, affect or does not the affect? Does the church change in any given way? Your context. As it yeah. Does it? Does it not? Quick one that comes to mind. Proximity is not irrelevant. So we used to have a large labor camp right beside our church building. Our people were gathering there every Lord's Day, and there were thousands of poor people living over here. Close proximity. Does that mean that it was incumbent upon us as a church, as an institution, to set up some program to, to connect with them, to share the gospel there, to relieve poverty, to start a soup kitchen? Uh, that's a judgment call. Um, does that mean that individuals who gathered there, that it was incumbent upon them to think creatively about doing that? Uh, that's a different question. So Wouldn't just, you want your people to feel the weight? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's not there anymore. But uh, for a while... The weight it was, or the camp? The, the camp is not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. you're right. There's also just like, I think, I think what you're saying, like proximity and just like emergencies. Like, I'm from Turkey. We just had this earthquake. Yeah. Uh, so for about a month... Our church, uh, like we had one Sunday when we were, we had a very weird Sunday because a bunch of the people that were supposed to be participating in our service were down just delivering water into the earthquake zone. And, uh, and we, we were able to talk about that with our interns. And as a church, we were like, hey, like we would not do this normally. Like we're not going to like upend our gatherings at church to go like deliver water on a regular basis. But we thought given the circumstances that were very unique, they're like, yeah, this is fine. So we had like food boxes stored. We had to use a different room for our Wednesday Bible study because we had food boxes stored in the room we used for Bible study. Were we, are we normally going to be like a Ford food storage warehouse? Well, no. But under the circumstances, yeah. So I think there's also just emergencies and opportunities that uh, are going to fall on you occasionally as a church. Really wasn't for anything at all. Yeah, I think essentially what we're saying is the what stays the same proclamation of the gospel, the planting of healthy local churches, making of disciples in the context of those churches. The how is going to change dependent on your where your situation and other circumstances. And with the goal of contextualization to bring clarity yes. to the gospel. Yeah, and, and so for instance, buying computers for elementary schools in Dubai would be like, you know, a crazy thing. Like there's no... Offensive. Yeah, so, but, you know, I can see where if you're living... In an inner city, you know, where you have a public school there in America, it can make sense and can lead to gospel proclamation. So I think, yeah. Greg, I want to press in on the what uh, that you, you talked about. Um, you, you obviously talked about the word ethne mm -hmm. uh, there in the Great Commission. How then are you thinking through efforts to reach unreached language groups? Uh, you're familiar with the Joshua Project, which is encouraging mm -hmm. us to pray for mm -hmm. uh, unreached groups unreached language groups, things like this. How does the church think strategically where to go? Should the church be thinking about this as we look out across the world? Yeah, yeah, sure you should, but not, not in terms of a knock list, right? You don't, you don't just have a list of ethno-linguistic groups and you're trying to tick them off one at a time. I think, I think given that the mission is to take the gospel to all the nations, you're looking for dark spots on the map, right, Through, throughout you know, geographically and chronologically. You're looking for dark spots. So if, if your church has the resources to, 
enlighten a dark spot, uh, you should do that. And sometimes that's, sometimes that's geographical, sometimes it's linguistic, sometimes there are other things going on, but I think you're, yeah, you're looking for dark spots, not a knock list of, you know, an enumerated list of ethno-linguistic groups. But is it helpful, is it not helpful to know where, if, if we know that this language group doesn't have the gospel? Yeah, that could be a dark spot. You know, you might okay. have a... So that you know, kind of work, you, might have you a, wouldn't dismiss that work. No, you know, you might have a, a group of people in the, in the Himalayas who just, you know, or have a language that no one outside that group speaks. And if you can get in there and illuminate that dark spot, awesome. That's, it's not a bad thing. But you, you know, you shouldn't think that you've, like, moved the second coming a little closer when, you get, when yeah. you get a believer. But it's okay group. to strategize around these oh, absolutely, things. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I would think so. you guys want to add to that? How Christians are thinking well or poorly about that. I would just encourage people to strategize really carefully because it can, all this can get really complicated about, it's all about access to the gospel. You know, I've, I've heard people say like, you know, people need to hear the gospel in their heart language, which may be nice, but there's also, I've, I've spent some years doing some work in Uzbekistan and, you know, we would run in with a friend that we had that was there. We'd run into people that they're, you know, their heart language was Tajik or Uzbek, but they were educated in Russian, and they couldn't have a high-level philosophical conversation in Tajik or Uzbek. Like, you had to share the gospel with them in Russian. That was the only vocabulary they had. So I, just, I always encourage people to be, to be careful as you think through how this operates, because the, the goal is not that every language group that people can identify needs to have its own church, you know, but that people need to hear the gospel in a way they can understand and respond to. And that if it ends up with like what happened in Uzbekistan, you had people like, like Tajiks, Russians, and Uzbeks all together in the same church. And there were some missions thinkers that were saying, oh, you need to break them up into three churches. Like, well, the book of Galatians says this is kind of nice, you know, to have like people that don't like each other in society all gathering together, even if like, you know, they're using different translations of the Bible, but they can all understand a common language. Just, yeah, I encourage people to, to try to think biblically about it. And then after you've thought biblically, you can think like, you know, anthropologically and linguistically. But first, just think about people hearing the gospel in a way they can understand. Aubrey, John, do you want to think? Yeah, I think we get run into trouble and confuse the mission and get off mission when we begin to think that the mission is every people group as defined by Joshua Project or whatever needs their own indigenous church, as Greg said. And, and, you know, I've seen this, I can point to a tweet from a very famous missions thinker, pastor theologian, whom we'd all deeply respect, uh, saying Tamil Muslims in India are unreached in South India. Who will reach them and whatever? Well, there are hundreds of Tamil churches that preach the gospel. And just because they're Muslims doesn't mean that now we need a special missionary there trying to reach Tamil Muslims, which the Tamil churches can't reach. So... That, I think that creates confusion when we start. So is your thinking very practically as a church or a missionary about where to go, how to think through the fact that there's still people that need to hear the gospel? Think through that. I mean, where, positively, as opposed to saying what this is not, positively you would say, What's gonna, it's and gonna, you would think you would strategize in, in what way? Yeah, it's going to be, a, it's gonna be a, an intersection of... Uh, Strategic thinking, you know, looking at the dark spots, looking at who needs access to the gospel, um, the providential opportunities that the Lord has given you with people. Um, so, you know, I mean, when you were an elder at, at Third Avenue, you know, we knew about work going on in Dubai. Uh, you know, this opportunity in RAK 
popped up as an opportunity that the Lord gave. You, you felt a desire to go do it. We thought you were gifted to go do it. And even though I begged you not to and even offered you a job, you did it anyway and came here. Um, I and said, it, get and behind good, me, Satan. <laughs> good stuff is, and good stuff has happened. So, yeah, you know. Any other thoughts? Oh, I think just, yeah, just looking for places. I find, you know, it's really helpful to me just thinking about, you know, the you know, faith comes from hearing. And I think implicit to that is hearing in a language you can understand. And I don't really care whether that's your first language or your second language, as long as you can understand the gospel sufficiently to be able to weigh and, in God's providence, respond to it. I think just looking for places where there aren't, you know, there aren't, there's not access to a faithful biblical gospel, which doesn't mean there's not churches, you know, but just I find when our church is thinking about where we might try to do an, another church plant in Turkey, we're looking for a place where there's not a faithfully organized gospel witness and in a language people can understand, and that's where we're going to hope to send people. Uh, we want Emiratis to be reached. We want Gulf Arabs to be delivered from the coming wrath, uh, but that doesn't mean that the goal is an Emirati church. But rather, we think in terms of Arabic congregations, English-speaking congregations, though it does get complicated when you take into account uh, dialect and the difficulty that you know, Moroccan Arabic is almost incomprehensible to Gulf Arabs, etc. cetera. Uh, any thought on that, Aubrey? Have you thought about the end game on the question of dialect and the, the particularities in Arabic? I don't know enough about the different dialects in Arabic, but I would say the ideal is always to find a lingua franca across which you can integrate multiple peoples as opposed to breaking off for minor differences. I mean, most of the New Testament churches were Greek-speaking churches. With I think the church in Rome is like an international church, and you have people from many disparate tongues who might be speaking different things, but they gather around one language. So would you, you would have a you'd have a category for churches defined by different languages because obviously you've got to be able to understand the exhortation. Do you have a category for the underground church? Even here, there, would there be need for, or could there ever be need for something underground? Uh, possibly, yeah. I want to go to disciple making. Um, how does that should be understood biblically? You weren't able to spend as much time on the how. It's striking that the New Testament letters are written to missionary church plans. They're all new church plans. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15, I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Romans 6, thanks be to God. You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The high expectation of Paul to these young churches that they be grounded in truth and a standard of teaching. How do we think through disciple making? Uh, obviously, I think because the New Testament letters are written to churches in the context of church, how should that weigh on us and how should that affect our method? Um, well, if you look at the literature, uh, DMM, CPM, the push toward simplicity and reproducibility, th these are the buzzwords, um, you see that on the one hand, and then you read Ephesians chapter 1 on the other hand, or 1 Peter chapter 1, and you realize he, these apostles are writing to new churches. These are people who had not been educated in seminaries. You just see a vast difference of methodology. 
and we want to allow our practices to be shaped by the apostolic preaching, not by the fads and overemphasis on simplicity and reproducibility, that I think is, is insulting to many and, uh, and ineffective to all. How would you encourage missionaries who are thinking through um, their own labor and the mission of the church to ensure that their work is carrying out this mission? When maybe their, their, their work is not preaching and teaching week in, week out, but they're in a pioneer setting, they're, they're laboring in the gospel. How would you encourage them to think through how to faithfully stick to this mission? Help me understand somebody's in a pioneer setting, but their work is not... Well, that's a, fair, that's I'm a like, fair comment. I'm, I'm like, thinking move somewhere standing else. up preaching week in and week out to a congregation. There's no one there. There's no Christians. They're trying to establish But they're a hoping church. to see oh. a church. Yeah, gap. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Not trying to undermine preaching and teaching. But okay. yes. I, think, I was just more thinking, like, you don't want to have, like, assistant people just hanging around waiting for a church to appear from heaven, you know. Like, go find a church you can be a part of. <laughs> Thank I, you, Andy. I, I, I think just be, be... It, it happens a lot, actually. <laughs> the world so i i say be be super careful that over the years and sometimes it, it can be years that you don't lose sight of the goal which is wherever you are it is the establishment of an embassy of the lord jesus christ you your goal even over years is ultimately to run up the flag of the king in that dark place um and so you, you don't want to you don't want to swirl down into something less than that right so i remember being in in one particular country and i was introduced to a missionary who had been there for you know a decade or longer, um, and the more I talked to him, the more I realized that 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 wasn't his goal anymore. His goal had swirled down into I do marriage counseling for uh, people about five times a month, and God is being glorified in that. Uh, and so you know I didn't have the stature to push on him really at the time. I wasn't wasn't pastoring a church or anything, but. You know, that, that's not the goal. The goal is not just to do marriage counseling for five people, five couples a month. The, the goal is to run up the flag of the king. So whatever you have to do to get there, you know, great, but just don't lose sight of that. But I'd say just, I'd encourage if there's a, like, a missionary who's doing pioneering work in a place, and, you know, what are they going to do till sort of a church appears? Another weird long-grain strategy is just look for a healthy church pretty close by, and go there instead. I, I knew a Brazilian guy in eastern Turkey who wanted to see a church planted in a city called Mardin. He, there's a, a really sound church with a faithful brother in Diyarbakir, which is like an hour and a half away. He went to Diyarbakir, eventually became an elder at the church in Diyarbakir, and then helped lead the church at Diyarbakir to plant a church in Mardin. Because I think, you know, you can have this sort of zero to one thing. I don't actually see that be very fruitful a lot. I think where you see a church planting churches, that tends to stick and be fruitful. So you just might think about trying to find a church you could be a part of that could then go and plant a church rather than trying to just you and your family sitting alone in your living room hoping that there's going to be a church. So in a city like Ras al-Khaimah or Dubai, the goal is not to evangelize someone, see him supposedly come to faith, and then unilaterally choose to baptize him in the Gulf and allow him to just be uh, christened as a follower of Christ out there in the world. The goal is to fold him into a congregation in which he can thrive and see the exercise of his gifts, to know the oversight of elders and baptism in the Lord's Supper. We should finish the panel. Any, as you guys labor here, 
in, in this part of the world, any concerns or any ways that you would tell us to be on guard as we think about the mission of the church, as you think about church and missionary work in this part of the world, or encouragements and exhortations that you would kind of leave us with as we, we kind of finish this panel? Well, Greg, so encouraging to be reminded of the unstoppability of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he's with us to the end of the age. I mean, that's why we all get up in the morning. That's why we came here. So thank you, brother, for that reminder. And I should encourage brothers not to underestimate the sort of evangelistic gospel power of a local church. I've been, I, I, I feel for a lot of workers who are sort of on their own doing stuff. And uh, I've just seen examples, even in the city that I've just been in for like three years, of how actually having a gospel community is just an accelerator for everything that all of us that are a part of the church are doing. So, yeah, even it, yeah, obviously it's the, it is the wisdom of God, but as I think about our context here, and you guys would echo this, just that when God's people gather under the gospel and God's people scatter, the gospel goes to places I alone could never take it to. Any of us alone could ever take it to, and it's, it's glorious to see God's wisdom in that way. Aubrey? Um, this might not be the most positive note on which to end, but we were expecting that from Andy, but we're going to get I that th- from. <laughs> uh, I think. I mean, I'm look, reflecting on um, an article um, in the Nine Marks Journal on expressive individualism, which is great. And he asks about. I can't remember who wrote the article, but expressive individualism is great. Or no, the ar- the journal is great, but the article was great. And he asks if expressive individualism shows up in Nine Marks churches, and what does that look like? And I think one danger and proclivity in our circles is to say the healthy church is what's most important. And so we're not going to go into a context unless I have a healthy church. And, you know, if Max Stiles and David Lawrence and Brian Parks had not come to Dubai to what was less than an ideal situation and less than an ideal church at the time, we all wouldn't be in this room today, right? And so in sending and going, I think we have to bear in mind Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And sometimes that means going into a situation where there are not nine marks and you need to labor uh, for reform of the church that's there. And you need to plant the church that is not there. Yes. Both by God's grace. Yeah. And obviously that's happening again and again in Acts. We're seeing that happen and I hope that it would be clear. That, certainly that would be my burden. I know it would be your brother's uh, burden as well. Absolutely. Absolutely.